Hi, I'm Bill Wiley. I'm Stephen Dell. And I'm Rob Weinstock. And we're the co-chief medical editors of Cataract and Refractive Surgery Today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of CRST, the podcast. I'm Laura Straub, editor-in-chief of CRST. In today's episode, we're celebrating our first anniversary of this podcast. If you're a loyal listener, thanks for sticking with us in our first year. And if you're a new listener, thanks for giving us a try. Buckle up, because today we're going to be talking about disruption. Specifically, we'll look at two technologies that have the potential to disrupt ophthalmic practice as we know it, robotic cataract surgery and eye drops for keratoconus. And we'll also review how COVID-19 has disrupted the flow of surgical volume, especially in the refractive market. I'm handing things over to Matt Gerber, a postdoctoral scholar fellow at the University of California, Los Angeles, to talk about the promise and the challenges associated with robotic cataract surgery. Robotic systems have been widely incorporated into many surgical applications because of their higher precision, greater maneuverability, and potential for improved sensing capabilities compared with manually performed surgical procedures. However, the pace at which robotic systems have been integrated into ophthalmic surgery has lagged behind that of other surgical fields. This difference can be attributed to the unique advantages of manual ophthalmic surgery, including direct visualization of the surgical workspace and the unhindered maneuverability of intraocular instrumentation. These advantages have eclipsed the apparent benefits of incorporating robotics into the ophthalmic surgical theater. Furthermore, significant progress has already been made towards improving surgical outcomes through the incorporation of -of state-of-the-art digital microscopes, advanced fluidics control during phacoemulsification, and femtosecond laser-based cataract surgery. Nevertheless, manual surgical procedures are constrained by the physiologic limitations of the human surgeon. Precise physical manipulation of intraocular tissue is hindered by inherent hand tremor, an inability to sense forces below those of human tactile perception, and a lack of sufficient depth perception to resolve microstructures or identify tissue planes. These limitations do not hinder a robotic system to the same degree, and this has inspired extensive research and development during the past two decades. Here, we highlight the beginnings of robotic surgery in ophthalmology, describe how robotic surgery is being used today, and discuss its future potential for cataract surgery. Since the early 1990s, dozens of robotic systems intended for intraocular surgical use, ranging from handheld to articulated robotic systems, have been prototyped and evaluated in research laboratories across the world. The Micron, a fully actuated handheld robotic instrument developed by Carnegie Mellon and Johns Hopkins Universities, has been shown to reduce hand tremor to provide a smooth, scaled motion during surgical procedures. A demonstrated application includes retinal vein cannulation on artificial vein models. A research group at Vanderbilt University incorporated a B-mode OCT probe into a pair of microforceps to form a handheld surgical device that allows visualization of the membrane surface during epiretinal membrane peeling operations. The researchers showed that the tool-to-membrane distance could be known in real time from the OCT visualization and that this knowledge improved a surgeon's performance during membrane peeling in ex vivo godis. In terms of articulator robotic systems, a research group at the Technical University of Munich demonstrated a mechanism small enough to be mounted to a patient's head. This device was used to perform a range of intraocular procedures, including subretinal injection and deep anterior lamellar keratoplasty. Recent work incorporates OCT-based needle segmentation techniques to expand the boundaries of autonomous surgical procedures. To our knowledge, the only robotic system to be developed specifically for cataract surgery is the Intraocular Robotic Interventional and Surgical System, or IRIS, from the University of California, Los Angeles. Presented in 2013, The IRIS was the first robotic system to demonstrate simultaneous use of two surgical instruments, teleoperated capsular rexis, and entire cataract surgery on ex vivo pig eyes from start to finish. 
More recently, the iris was integrated with an OCT system to perform a range of autonomous surgical procedures, including partially automated lens extraction. In that work, preoperative OCT scans were used to generate a lens extraction trajectory, and intraoperative OCT scans localized around the tip of the IA handpiece were displayed to the surgeon to enable real-time anatomical evaluation. On an ex vivo pig eye model, posterior capsule rupture, PCR, was avoided in all trials, and nearly complete lens extraction was achieved with the iris. To date, the Precise Surgical System is the only robotic surgery system dedicated to ophthalmology to become commercially available. The system consists of a joystick-like motion controller used as an input by the surgeon and an instrument manipulator that mounts to the surgical instrument. In 2018, the Precise was used to perform retinal membrane peeling and subretinal injection in human patients. With this system, a high degree of tooltip positional precision can be obtained, and virtual boundaries can be imposed to restrict unwanted movement and prevent iatrogenic retinal trauma. The Precise group continues to publish research results with their system, and at least three devices are currently being used to, in hospitals across Europe. The first in-human experience with the robotic laser femtomatrix was first presented in 2019, and the system can be used to photoemulsify a cataract. The company reports that the femtomatrix may be used to perform about 80% of the surgical procedure without human intervention. The first group to demonstrate inhuman robot-assisted retinal vein cannulation was Minutia, a spin-off of the Catholic University of Louvain in Belgium. The surgeon and the co-manipulator robotic system simultaneously hold the same surgical instrument. In the 2018 Phase I clinical trial, an anticoagulant was injected into the retinal veins of four patients with retinal vein occlusion for up to 10 minutes. Development of the system continues, and the company is attempting to commercialize the technology. Meanwhile, research on the iris continues at the University of California, Los Angeles. The goal is to develop a system that is capable of performing fully automated cataract surgery. The most recent work demonstrated partially automated polishing of the posterior capsule in ex vivo pig eyes by using transpupillary OCT scans of the anterior segment. In related research, a deep learning-based method was used to guide an IA handpiece to autonomously extract lens fragments from ex vivo pig eyes. This work provides a foundation for autonomous cataract surgery guided by artificial intelligence. Also, a few startup companies, namely AccuSurgical, Cambridge Consultants, Foresight Robotics, and OptoRobotics, have received seed funding for their unique visions of intraocular robotic surgical systems. While these companies are reported to be working towards clinical trials and the CE Mark certification, no current evaluations of these systems are known to exist. The integration of robotic systems could improve cataract surgery in several ways. First, access. The number of trained cataract surgeons is inadequate to meet current demand, and this shortage is expected to worsen as the population ages and the prevalence of cataracts increases. A robotic surgeon could help increase healthcare access by performing routine surgery on patients with cataracts that are not complex. Second, efficiency. The seamless integration of all surgical steps into a single system could improve surgical flow and decrease operation time compared to manual surgery. Furthermore, it would not require relocation of the patient as is currently necessary for femtosecond laser-based cataract surgery. Third, safety. If we add up all the intra- and post-operative complications, including refractive errors, an estimated 50% of patients will experience suboptimal outcomes. For example, posterior capsule pacification rates are around 30% at five years, PCR rates are around 5%, and suboptimal refractive outcome rates are around 30%. By standardizing treatment, a robotic system could enable every surgeon to improve outcomes. The greatest surgical risk originates with cataract removal. For example, PCR remains a common complication largely because of the difficulty of sensing the location of the posterior capsule during phacoemulsification, irrigation, and aspiration. Novel technologies capable of sensing the posterior capsule exist, for example, intraoperative OCT, 
but their data is not well integrated and is difficult for a human surgeon to interpret. Recent advances in computer vision techniques allow a robotic system to be trained to make sense of this data and to safely guide the surgical instrument. It could do this with greater resolution and a faster response time than a human surgeon is capable of, thereby reducing the occurrence of surgical complications that arise from improper tool positioning, excessive aspiration forces, and ultrasound power. Another potential future benefit is reducing posterior capsule pacification through complete polishing of the entire capsular bag. Currently, human surgeons are limited by an inability to visualize the lens equator, the difficulty of sensing the position of the posterior capsule relative to the tool, and inadequate control of aspiration forces and response times. Robotic solutions include the incorporation of novel visualization technologies that are capable of imaging the capsular equator, robotically guided tool positioning, and high-resolution control of aspiration forces with fast response times. If well integrated, these capabilities could allow safe and complete polishing of the entire capsular bag without increasing the risk of PCR. Finally, the integration of robotic systems could improve cataract surgery through automation. For example, the augmentation of surgical decisions through the incorporation of artificial intelligence is a major anticipated development. Robotic cataract surgery is especially well-suited to automation because the surgical protocol is remarkably consistent and is composed of the same specific and routine procedures. An existing example is the use of a femtosecond laser to create the cornea incisions, perform the capsular rexus, and fragment the lens prior to manual extraction. A more ambitious but not infeasible application is to automate the entire surgery, effectively eliminating the requirement for a surgeon to hold the surgical instruments. Such a goal can only be achieved with improved feedback from OCT or another imaging modality that's closely integrated with the robotic system. Guidance by artificial intelligence would be required to make surgical decisions with limited or no input from a human surgeon. Despite increased accuracy and precision, tremor filtering, improved visualization, and other potential benefits of robotic cataract surgery, significant obstacles remain to the technology's incorporation into routine practice. The advent of femtosecond laser-based cataract surgery in 2010 is a case in point. Even a decade after its inception, this technology is not yet established as a standard technique because of added costs, questionable added value, and interruption of the surgical flow. These issues and others must be addressed if intraocular robotic surgical systems are to become commonplace in operating rooms across the world. In conclusion, the full potential of surgical robotics and cataract surgery lies in developing an integrated robotic system that adds significant value over current manually performed surgical techniques. Improved knowledge of surgical instrument positioning through the use of OCT and high-precision robotic systems has the potential to reduce or eliminate anatomical damage such as PCR. Nevertheless, improvements to current robotic systems and their acceptance into general practice are required before cataract surgery robotic systems can be widely deployed. Thanks, Dr. Gerber. Now, what about a potential disruptive keratoconus treatment? Nora Liz Garcia O'Farrell from Pacific Clear Vision Institute in Eugene, Oregon, shares with us clinical results with a topical eye drop that could lead to the development of a non-invasive treatment primarily for keratoconus. Epithelium off or epi off cross-linking was described by a group based in Dresden, Germany in the early years of this century. A system for performing epi-off cross-linking was approved by the FDA in 2016. This procedure is an innovative alternative for the management of corticonus, but it carries the risks of pain, corneal haze, scarring, and infection. These potential drawbacks spurred us to develop a novel, cost-effective, non-invasive, first-in-class, 
light-independent pharmacologic alternative, eye drops that induce physiologic cross-linking. Our efforts were inspired by genetic, biochemical, and tissue evidence of reduced lysyl oxidase, or LOX, activity in keratoconic corneas. We developed a topical eye drop, IVMET80, primarily for the treatment of keratoconus through the upregulation of LOX and thus the induction of endogenous physiologic crosslinking of corneal collagens. In initial laboratory experiments, IVMET80 increased LOX activity in both healthy and keratoconic corneal fibroblasts. In 2017, Ivina's Director of Research and Development, Sara Malokia, PhD, started in vivo experiments after IVMET80 was granted an orphan drug designation by the FDA and funding support was received in the form of a National Institutes of Health Small Business Innovation Research Grant. In a rabbit model, administering the drug twice daily for seven weeks increased the corneal elastic modulus and cross-linking, as evidenced by higher lysyl norleucine levels, and produced 1.70 diopters of corneal flattening on topography. The drops were well tolerated and there was no inflammation, evidence of pain, or systemic organ damage. In February 2019, we started a phase 1-2A randomized controlled double-masked clinical study to evaluate the safety and preliminary efficacy of IV Med 80 for the pharmacologic cross-linking of keratoconus. A total of 31 patients with keratoconus, about one-third of the study population, were randomly assigned to each group and completed the observation period during the study, which was approved by the Mexican government's Federal Commission for the Protection Against Sanitary Risk and was conducted at the Codet Vision Institute in Tijuana, Mexico. The principal investigator of the trial was Arturo Chayet, MD. The experimental design regimen and observation period allowed an assessment of the impact of therapy duration and cessation. This phase 1-2A study demonstrated that IVMET80 was safe and well tolerated by patients. No serious ocular or systemic adverse events were reported, including no significant changes in intraocular pressure, inflammation, corneal scarring, or endothelial cell count. One patient in a placebo group developed marginal keratitis, which resolved after pharmacologic treatment with no sequelae. Six weeks of IVMET80 therapy were not sufficient to establish a statistically significant benefit, but the patients in group two achieved excellent results, exhibiting a slower progression of keratoconus and a stable corneal flattening effect at 16 weeks that was maintained through the 26 weeks of observation. These results lessened our concern about a regression of corneal flattening after treatment cessation. There was a statistically significant outcome in primary efficacy with a reduction in longitudinal baseline-adjusted maximum keratometry reading, or KMAX, in patients who received IVMET80 for 16 weeks relative to placebo of one diopter. This suggests clinically significant flattening and a high probability of attaining the FDA efficacy benchmark for K-max reduction, that is, one diopter at one year. Secondary efficacy variables also showed promising results, including a decline in mean corneal astigmatism in group 2 at 16 weeks and further improvement at 26 weeks. More extensive studies with a longer follow-up period are required to draw conclusions on the possibility of LUX corneal remodeling to enhance corneal symmetry. Additionally, 
patients in group two achieved a statistically significant gain of 11.3 ETDRS letters from baseline, compared with eight letters in group three. Corneal biomechanics were also positively affected as evidenced by significant increases in the stiffness parameter highest curvature and stress strain index, which measures resistance to corneal deformation. Improvements were comparable to those found after EPIOF crosslinking. The results of this phase 1-2A study are encouraging. Pending the outcomes of discussions with the FDA, the company's plan is to pursue further clinical development of IVMET80 in phase 2B, 3, and phase 3 studies. We are excited about the potential of this non-invasive treatment for keratoconus. A drop for keratoconus would certainly be an exciting development in patient care. Finally, shifting gears to the ever-hot topic of COVID-19, Louis Probst, National Medical Director and Surgeon at the Laser Eye Centers, talks about 2020's wild ride for refractive surgery and provides pointers for addressing continued challenges, including dealing with staff shortages. In 2019, when I was looking forward to 2020, I imagine a year filled with marketing campaigns tying the year to the result of the 2020 uncorrected visual acuity after LASIK. But of course, the global pandemic completely upended that naive prediction. The uh, year 2020 was the most unusual and the most challenging I've experienced in my 25 years as a refractive surgeon. In the past 20 years, there have been plenty of turmoil uh, in the refractive surgery industry. Refractive surgery is elective, paid for privately with discretionary spending. Uh, global events and major economic changes therefore affect the overall procedural volume. The bursting of the dot-com bubble in the late 1990s and the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001 uh, precipitated significant drops in the procedure volumes that lasted several months after those events. The field of refractive surgery experienced a revival from 2001 to 2008 as the mainstream acceptance of refractive surgery increased. Courses on LASIK at the annual Askers Symposium were so popular that during this period, the monitors were installed in the hallways outside the lecture rooms to accommodate all the attendees interested in these learning opportunities. The subprime mortgage crisis hit the United States and caused a dramatic decline in refractive surgery volume in the second half of 2008 that ultimately led to TLC the laser centers uh, to file for bankruptcy, which was a very humbling experience for everyone involved. This drop in volume was more pronounced and lasted longer than the earlier declines. Many refractive surgeons returned to the more stable and consistent field of cataract surgery, which, been, which had been reinvigorated by the use of uh, specialty IOLs and the use of the femtosecond laser and resulted in the fields becoming that field becoming much more lucrative than before. Some surgeons who had performed refractive procedures exclusively, exclusively even retrained in cataract surgery in order to re-enter that market. I briefly considered taking the same route by working with a busy cataract practice, but I found that refractive surgery was my true passion. In 2009, I wrote an article for article for CRST that described the effects of the subprime mortgage crisis on the refractive surgery uh, volume and provided my suggestions for addressing the resultant changes. To reduce cost, I advise reducing direct-to-consumer marketing and focus on the word of mouth and co-management referral sources. I suggested re reducing staff hours to a four-day uh, workweek schedule with voluntary unpaid days off. I also recommended fine-tuning the practices to prepare for the rebound 
in the uh, LASIK volume from the pent-up demand after the financial crisis ended. Additional changes I suggested including updating older technology, reviving the business metrics of the and consult, consultation to conversion ratios and increasing patient accessibility by instituting evening clinic hours and Saturday clinics. In retrospect, these changes were helpful, and most of them are still in place at my practices. Uh, however, the revival of the re, uh, refractive industry was much slower than I anticipated. Although refractive surgery did recover during this next decade, uh, the year-to-year growth was in the single digits. Fast forward to March 2020, when the effects of the global pandemic hit the refractive surgery industry. Suddenly, all refractive procedures across the country were canceled to optimize hospital access and physician availability for the uh, potential devastating healthcare crisis. For a refractive surgery company, this change was devastating because it represented a complete loss of revenue. TLC and its parents, parent company, VGH, or Vision Group Holding, uh, was, uh, which also owned the Laser Vision Institute, LVI, filed for bankruptcy. Once we resumed pre- performing refractive procedures in June 2020, we faced a whole new set of challenges. We needed to adhere to new safety parameters, including screening patients for symptoms of COVID-19 and in some states performing COVID-19 testing. We also implemented guidelines such as uh, physical distancing in the office, use of masks and sometimes goggles, uh, te- uh, routine temperature checks of all the patients, Rooms are sterilized after each use. Prepayments were encouraged uh, to reduce the patient's time in the office. And waiting rooms were closed and clinic access was restricted to patients only. One of the more surprising challenges we encountered was the slower pace of the procedures. Initially, this was due to the enhanced cleaning procedures and the lower number of patients in the clinic because of the requirements for uh, physical distancing. But once we had adjusted to these changes, fresh new challenges emerged. Each staff member had its, uh, their own unique response to the pandemic. Most were comfortable with the new safety uh, protocols, but some had an increased level of concern, sometimes because of an underlying health issue of their own uh, that put them at increased risk, or sometimes it was because a family member had uh, increased risk to COVID-19, and they were concerned about bringing the disease home to their uh, family. The net effect of this concern was a much more cautious and reserved approach that resulted in a slower pace in the clinic. To address the staff concerns and try to restore my regular surgical pace, I was forced to revise my surgical patterns. For the past 25 years, our center's optometrists had checked the patients after their procedure had been performed and they had left the clinic. Because this final check required an examination lane and the optometrist, it tied up resources limited by the COVID-19 protocols. Therefore, I included and incorporated the final post-operative check into my procedure. At the conclusion of every procedure, I use a slip on the laser to examine the eyes. Not only has this changed the, uh, increased the efficiency uh, of the process, but has also actually improved my outcomes because any minor imperfection or small amount of interface, interface debris can easily and quickly be addressed while the patient is still under the laser. Previously, the patients would need to be sent back to the laser room I've also started walking the patients out of the laser room, uh, uh, which was previously done by by my staff, to further uh, save resources. With these changes, I led my staff by example. I am demonstrating a willingness to adopt new protocols and put in the extra work. These changes also allow me to provide a little more personal touch by making supportive comments to the patients as I walk them out of the clinic. By September of 2020, three months after we established the new protocols and adjustments for our practice, our pre-pandemic surgical pace had been restored. Then suddenly, everybody wanted LASIK.
There have been many opinions about what happened here and what the reasons were for this sudden wave of interest, including increased discretionary spending, money from the stimulus checks, uh, lack of uh, other ways to spend money because uh, inability to go on, people had an inability to go on vacations or travel uh, or dine out, uh, more free time uh, because people were working at home rather than commuting to the office, and a greater sense of focusing on self because people were more isolated. And of course, people had their glasses fogging up on a regular basis. The fluctuations in the procedure volume are best monitored by the laser companies uh, that, pro that, uh, that uh, provide the lasers because they can track the procedures across a wide range of users across the country. The procedure volume was down 10% overall in 2020 compared to 2019. However, this downturn included the two months of inactivity uh, during uh, the second quarter of 2020. During the fourth quarter of 2020, however, procedure volume was up about 15% compared to the same period in 2019. Procedure volume for the first quarter of 2021 is even re more remarkable. There has been approximately 30% growth compared to the same period in 2020. In the second quarter of 2021, we'll be following a similar uh, growth rate and, of course, be much higher than the results in the second quarter of 2020 because that's when we were shut down. The growth in procedure volume experienced at TLC has been even greater. VGH, the holding company for TLC and the Laser Vision Institute, was acquired in a bankruptcy acquisition by Kismet New Vision Holdings, which also owns LASIK Plus. The company's centric strategies of VGH have been replaced by a patient-centered strategy. Local and regional control of operations was replaced by centralized control. The net results of these fundamental changes was an increase in the number of consultations that were performed, producing a dramatic increase in the number of procedures that are performed. Overall, my personal procedure volume has increased more than 50% in the first quarter of 2021 compared to the first quarter of 2020. This surpassed my previous record volume for peak procedures, which was in the first quarter of 2008. The increase in procedure volume has been even great, has been great news for the refractive surgery industry, but is very hard on our doctors and our staff. Staff numbers were already reduced from before the pandemic because some people chose not to return to work, uh, particularly the older uh, workers uh, chose to retire rather than to return during a pandemic. Worries about the pandemic, uh, moreover, bred anxiety in the staff members who remained. The sudden increase in volume in the first quarter of 2021 resulted in a long, busy uh, consultation and surgery days. Unfortunately, all these changes in such a short time have led to some of my long-term dedicated and dependable employees resigning. The past year has been a wild ride. My center went from zero procedures in April and May 2020 to 150% increase in procedure volume during the first quarter of 2021. This dramatic uptick in refractive surgery volume, however, is likely to subside. Summer and fall are traditionally less popular times for refractive surgery. Moreover, the vaccination in the United States, as the vaccination rate in the United States surpasses 50%, concerns about the pandemic will begin to ease and the gradual shift towards normality should occur. This will likely reduce or remove some of the pandemic-related drivers of the LASIK volume. I expect the current boom in refractive surgery to subside by the end of 2021, but after a year of surprises, who knows what will happen for sure next. As always, thanks for listening and making us part of your month. Tune in again in August when we will be chatting about building a thriving refractive cataract surgery practice.